Grace and peace to y'all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thought the team did re really well this morning. There was that one song that y'all sang, uh, what was it, uh, In the Aftermath? Wow, did y'all notice the words in that song? Holy cow. That was just detonations of gospel all over the place, just exploding, exploding in those words. Sometimes it, it's real easy, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but sometimes when, you, when you're singing songs that you've heard of before, that you've sing a lot of, sometimes you can sing right through it and don't realize what the words you're actually saying. Man, pay attention. There's good, uh, there good theology in, in this stuff. There's good, good teaching, good truth that's in the stuff that we're singing. And God created us. He designed us on purpose for, to experience certain things. And it's a gift that what he's given us, specifically when it comes to, and this will tie into the message, but if you've noticed throughout Scripture, God has a pattern of connecting his word to physical, tangible things. And I believe that's good news because he doesn't leave us on our own to try to find good news inside. Some people will try to tell you that you can, you know, oh, you know, follow your heart. What does your heart say? You know, go this, like, follow my heart. That's what got me in this mess in the first place. You know, I need something outside of me to save me. I need someone outside of me to deliver good news to me or to give me good news. And so God, and see, in all throughout Scripture, we see the curse came through something physical. Now, it wasn't the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil that was evil in itself. It was the act of taking it after God said, don't do it. So it was something physical that's taking place that was a part of the curse. And then God, through all, all throughout Scripture, starts promising physical things to us to remove that curse. And shortly after the curse came, God said to the woman that it, her seed would crush the serpent's head. And scholars believe that's one of the first mentions of the gospel. Way early, back in Genesis. Now, her seed or someone who had fallen, that's a physical person. That's someone that has a physical body that someone could physically touch. And you look at other, and then God promised Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's another physical thing. Okay, and then there, you can keep going. You can keep going. And this, the things in the Old Testament that were physical things, like the sacrifices, like the, um, the, the, uh, the, the Passover meal. They're physical things that God is using to deliver something to his people. But there were also shadows of things, someone, to come. Specifically that someone is Christ. And then God connects physical things even then. When his word is present, it does something. It, it, his word is so powerful to say to nothing, let there be something. You ever think about that? That's pretty spectacular. Let there be light. Light just, sure enough, came on. And in the same power, and in the same promise that God connects with his word, with things that he delivers to us, I mean, I believe in an actual man who had an actual body 
who had actual hands, who were pierced by actual nails that kept him on an actual cross and that his actual death was for me. That's something physical, something outside of me that I can have hope in, that I can place my faith in. God connects his word with the promises that he connects with in baptism. He connects his word with the promises that are in this table that we just had a second ago. Now, is it in the actual stuff stuff? It, on its own, it's just the stuff. But when God connects his words, when God connects his promises with them, then when it comes to negating his promises, you're going to have to take it up with him because it's his promise. And if there's one thing that all throughout Scripture, and not just in Scripture, but in my life, speaking for me, and I know many can testify to this morning as well, if God promises something, He's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it. If I promise something, uh, you're, you're on your own with that. I, I, I wish that my promises were ironclad. And so many times I have said, oh, Lord, I have, if you just do this for me, I promise I will never, ever, ever, ever. But see, even though he knows me better than I know myself and that I will fail in my promises to him, he still keeps his promises to me. Because my hope is not in my faithfulness to Jesus. My hope is in Jesus' faithfulness to me. And that's the good news. And that's why this thing that we call Christianity is so awesome because it removes us from the equation. It is a one-way rescue from God Almighty himself to go and find the sheep that wandered astray, pick them up, and take him back to the fold. Can you imagine what bad news would be? The shepherd said, he'll figure it out. He'll come back on his own. Nope, the sheep's lost. The sheep's not coming back. He needs a shepherd to go get him. It is, it is so much better than we think it is. And that's why I've got to hear the gospel every Sunday because throughout the week I forget it. I naturally revert back to in on myself because of my sin nature. But the good news is that the gospel is still for me. Yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter how many times I need it, it pleases God to give it back to me and to remind me of it. It pleases, it's different than us. We get frustrated. I, I get frustrated when I tell my kids for the umpteenth time not to do something stupid because it's going to hurt them. I get frustrated. God never does. His love for us is completely different. It's on a different level. Completely different level. He calls us as beloved when we are anything but belovable. We are far more beautiful to God than we actually are. We look at our sin and we think, oh, that's an ugly mess. Jesus says, my beloved, mine. And he's willing to pay the price to claim us as his own. He's willing to take our ugliness and make it his and give us his righteousness. 
The title of the message today is Sleeping Ugly. Not Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Ugly. And it'll tie into the message, I promise. The series that we're still on is Crucified with Christ. And the text we are now into into this part of this series is Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 29. And it's been, it's kind of, you know, been a long time through Galatians, it feels like already, but it's Galatians, Romans, John, I mean, I can list out all the books in the Bible, but man, if you want a good dose of of on every line of, of, of reading the death of Jesus Christ saves, the death of Jesus Christ saves, the death of Jesus Christ saved. Read Galatians and stay in it because it is pow, pow, pow all the time, not letting up. And if you remember the last time we spoke, Paul was explaining to the Galatians, he was writing to the Galatians, look, Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Jesus Christ was a cursed and condemned sinner on the cross. Because he sinned? No. He was made to be sin. He became sin in the flesh. God took the sin and the curse of the world and dumped it right on Jesus Christ on the cross. So here's the good news. If the curse for the world has been placed on Jesus Christ, there is no curse on the world. And if you reject that, if you say, no, that didn't happen, or no, that's not for me, well, so be it. Jesus and God specifically put his cross in your path so that you will have to walk over Jesus' dead body to go to hell. He made it that bold. To go to hell, you're literally going to have to say, no, Jesus, you did not die for me. Nope, not me. But here's the good news. Your yes to Jesus Christ, your yes to Jesus is also given to you as a gift. That'll blow your mind when you go down that path too. Because faith Faith comes by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. So when the gospel is given, and when people who hear the gospel, and when faith is exploding into their heart, it's because the gospel is creating that. Just like God said, let there be light to nothingness, and light came. When the gospel says, Jesus died for your sins into the dead soul, life begins. Courtesy of faith in Jesus Christ. Just as Lazarus was deader and dead, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. The word of Christ is powerful, and it did something. And Lazarus just got up and came out. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers... And this is talking about the law and the promise. Paul is going in and explaining to the people why it's different or how it's different. To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. 
the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was a lot of really good stuff. I'm going to try to plug through it as quickly as we can, but carefully as we can. Because I don't want us to miss this. This is really good stuff. Verse 15. You'll see that there are sim similarities between man's testament and God's. Legally, you've got to do what the last will and testament of somebody says. Whether you like it or not. You can't, unless the last will and testament is what's going to happen. You know, if you eat, no matter what happens after what someone says, what someone does, you've got to follow the will legally if you want to do it right. What is God's last will and testament? What is God's testament? What promise did he make to Abraham? In your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. The death of Christ signed within his blood the last will and testament of God. When he died, it was opened and it was published to the nations. Those who substitute the law and traditions of men in place of the testament of God are false apostles, and by definition, they're against Christ and what he has promised. Verse 16, a testament is also known as the promise that God made Abraham concerning the Christ. The testament of God to Abraham is not a law, but it is a, an inheritance. Heirs don't look for laws when they're looking into a will. They're looking for grants and for favors. It'd be weird if you're an heir 
to someone, you're looking into a will, and you're looking for, okay, where's all the stuff I need to do? No, you're looking for what's, what's being given. God's will to Abraham did not contain laws that contained promises. The promises were made in view of Christ in one seed, not in many seeds. Verse 17. The law that came 430 years after the promise does not annul the covenant made by God to Abraham. And see, that's a little inroad that we can might have with those who are still prescribing to and holding to the Jewish faith. And here's how. If you ever have the opportunity, I'm not saying go and track someone down and try to debate them about it, because here's the thing about debating religion and, and all of that. When we are sharing our faith, we're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win people. And in those, if you find yourselves in a position where you are put to defend your faith, remember this. It is far better to be kind than to be right. And sometimes a wise head keeps a shut mouth. And I'm having to learn that the hard way. So many times I look back and think, man, if I'd have just shut up and just was been kind to someone. Now, if they, if they ask me, I'll tell them, look, the only way I'm getting out of this mess is if Jesus Christ died for me. And my faith tells me that he, he did. So that's my hope. I'm not hoping in, in this. I'm hoping in, in that. And then just let the chips fall. Where they, or, and, and then we'll see. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's not, it's not mine. It's, 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 not, it's not yours. Give the word, and then how it, the Holy Spirit's working on someone, let the chips fall. The law will convict the self-righteous if it's given in its full value. If you water it down to make the law something you can do, then you're, not, you're, you're, you're giving out cheap law because it's, it's suggesting that someone can pull up to it. Give the law in its full value. Be perfect like God in heaven is perfect. Okay, we're toast. And then the gospel to the broken in spirit. Don't withhold the gospel. Don't keep hammering law, 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 law when people are saying, okay, have mercy, have mercy. Give it to them. The inroad back with those who subscribe to the Jewish faith. Depending on who they follow, who they would say would be their go-to person other than God. If they say Moses, you might have a problem. Because now they're following law. You know, they, they, we follow the law, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. God will see that and, and recognize that. But to the one who says we follow Abraham, ah, see, there we might be cooking with gas. Because then you point them to the promise that God made to Abraham, the promised seed. And that means that they, if they're following their teaching correctly, that means they're following to a promise. They're following that same seed. And just give them the word, give them the evidence, and just let the chips fall where they lie. To go against the promise with the law is to suggest that God was not satisfied with his promise. Verse 18, the inheritance comes as a promise. Verse 19, this question will come up naturally when you give the gospel. It just naturally will. If the law was not given for righteousness or salvation, why was it given? Why did God give the law in the first place if it cannot justify a person? People will say, let's just live like hellions if the law does not count. That's old Adam's thinking. 
Only a sinner would think, let's go now sin all that we want to because the law is not in play. A righteous person would never think that. Do you realize that? A criminal in their heart, if you were to remove all the laws off the books in the state of Georgia, a criminal would then think, time to loot. And the only reason why they don't loot before isn't because they're righteous. It's because they didn't want to go to jail. That doesn't make you righteous. I want to be saved because I don't want to go to hell. That's, that's not a reason not to go to hell or to be saved. Well, it is, but that shouldn't be your motivating factor. For so long, that was mine growing up. Oh, I don't want to go to hell. Tell me what I got to do, what I got to do, what I got to do, what I got to do to make sure that doesn't happen. Not because I wanted to be with Jesus, but because I didn't want to go to hell. But that was what was harped on. If you don't want to do it, if you don't, if you don't, and it will push you in the right direction. But we are so broken in our sin that we can't even get that right. Our motives for salvation. We need Jesus. I need Jesus more than I realize. More than I realize. And the good news is, is that he is still for me regardless of how I've got all this sorted out. Independent of me. My repenting even needs to be repented of. I don't even repent right. Repent fully, all the way, 100%. That condemns me also. I need you to save me, Jesus. And he's promised that he has. Jesus Christ has saved me. All by himself. Okay, so why the law then? The law is good if it is used properly. But if we assign to the law functions for which it was never intended, we pervert the law as well as the gospel. The law was added because of transgressions. The law was given because of sin. Okay, let's explain that. The law has a twofold purpose. There's a civil law. It's to restrain. Like we were saying earlier, the law is given in civil courts so that we're not going around killing everybody. Is it because we don't want to kill everybody? No, we're not going to do it because we don't want to go to jail. And we don't want to go, we don't want the electric chair. That doesn't make you any more righteous. Do you get that? Because you don't want to go to jail. But that's why the law is in place. And the second, the second purpose is spiritual and divine. It is to reveal sin. To reveal to a person his sin, his blindness, his misery, his ignorance, his hatred and contempt for God, his death, hell, and condemnation. That's the purpose of the law. To show you that you are a sinner. And to the person who says, no, I'm not a sinner, you haven't even begun to consider the depths of your sin. I have not even started. And the bad news is, is, is it's not such bad news that we sin The bad news is that we are a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 27. Two ways of putting on Christ. 
is according to the law, and I fail at that. If you try to put on Christ according to the law, it's a good endeavor, but you're going to burn out. If you make it, that's how you're being saved. It's an imitation of Christ to follow the example and the virtues of Christ, to do what he did. Go for it. Just don't look to be saved by it. Don't, don't, don't think that you're putting on Christ by living like Christ. Living like Christ, really? Or if you mark your spiritual growth by doing that, you will burn out. If you're doing it right. If you're doing a right assessment of you. That killed me in seminary. I had to do a spiritual growth chart of what I had, had to do to, to think about growing spiritually. I tapped out quick to that because I failed it miserably. And the good news was brought in that Christ's, spiritual, Christ's righteousness is counted in place of mine. And then I was free. Putting on Christ according to the gospel, Christ will not fail this. It is not the imitation of Christ. It consists rather of a new birth, a new creation in which you put on Christ himself, putting on his innocence, righteousness, etc. We wear an old garment from Adam, a corrupt and sinful nature which Paul calls the old man. This needs to be changed from sons of Adam into sons of God. This happens by rebirth and renewal that takes place in baptism. Verse 27. Titus 3, 5 reads, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Here are specific promises that God connects with baptism. And I want to run through them right quickly because they're really, really good news. And it's good news, too, because it's something, again, outside of us that God is doing and not something in here. It's something outside that I can remember and be reminded of when I don't feel saved. I can remember certain promises that God has made to us. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to flip right through these real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling by his name. Colossians 2, 11 through 22. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Romans 6, verse 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 20 through 21. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For a good conscience. I need a good conscience. Especially when I sin. Especially when I mess up. Especially when I don't feel saved. Especially when I realize that I am doing something that is not the law. Or that would not be pleasing to God. I need a reminder. I need some kind of reminder. The devil is only going to accuse you of who you are outside of Christ. He loses his case if he accuses you of who you are inside Christ. Because then the promise is remembered. So when the devil comes at you and says, hey, speaking to me, hey, Zach, you messed this part up. You did this, you did that, you did that, you did that. You are a sinner. He reminds me that Christ died for sinners. He reminds me that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He reminds me that my only hope is God the Son who bled and died for me. And one of the many promises that he connects with his word through baptism is the reminder that I've been buried with Christ. I will be raised with Christ. If you remove God's word from baptism, it's just a bath. It's just water. That's all it is. But when you connect his promises and what he said, he promised, God promised, that if we've been buried with him, we will be raised with him. And there are things outside of us that God has done for us. Baptism is a delivery system of grace, and it promises things to you. God's work to you and for you and a gift. And it's what it means to put on Christ. Properly, truly, and according to the gospel. Now, the title that I said earlier, Sleeping Ugly, is probably confusing. And I want us to follow this. If you look all throughout different popular stories and stuff as the team comes forward, and even in Scripture, You'll see flashes of Jesus everywhere. If you notice the story of Sleeping Beauty, if you follow it, the princess, she is caused to, or whatever, or she, she pricks her finger on the, the spinning wheel, right? And then death entered the land. And she fell deep asleep as if she were dead. And the only way that things could be reversed is if a prince on the outside, came and woke her up. That is how the gospel is delivered 
to us, to sinners. Jesus Christ on the outside, when we were deader and dead, came to us and said, wake up. And it's different because it's even better. See, in, in Sleeping Beauty, the princess, she's beautiful. So, of course, Prince Charming would come and wake her up with a kiss. This is how much God loves us. Is that while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, while we didn't deserve to be woken up, God loves us anyway. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ made us heirs through him. And he's provided himself, him dying on the cross as a means to substitute our death that we deserve for his death that he gave to us. And if he was raised, we too will be raised. If you're here this morning, and this is the first time that you're hearing the gospel, that Jesus Christ was, died on the cross, that he raised from the dead three days later, and that he offers this gift of salvation to you freely as a gift to receive. I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit is exploding faith into your heart. And it's, 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 it's a gift. Stop looking at you. Stop looking at you to think you're, if you're getting it right. Look at Jesus. Just, just look at Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for your sins. If that's you this morning, if this is the first time you're realizing that you are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward. Please tell us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate moments like that when we hear that someone else has been added to our forever family because that's what it is. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to answer any questions that you might have. We, we just would love to celebrate, to be quite honest. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You come this morning. Believe in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for your sins. I enjoyed my